0: Welcome to How Leaders Lead, where every week you get to listen in while I interview some of the very best leaders in the world. I break down the key learnings so that by the end of the episode, you'll have something simple you can apply as you develop into a better leader. That's what this podcast is all about. Today, we're back again for part two of my conversation with Fred Ridley, chairman of the Augusta National Golf Club. If you haven't had a chance to listen to part one yet, stop and do that first. Believe me, You don't want to miss a minute of it. Now, it's not easy to preserve the incredible tradition of a place like Augusta National Golf Club while also making sure you're moving into the future with new ideas. That tension between preserving tradition and driving innovation is something we can probably all relate to. Fred has some great strategies that help him lead the way. And I have no doubt you're going to find all kinds of good stuff here to apply in your own world. So here's part two of my conversation with my good friend and soon to be yours, Fred Ridley. You were forced to to cancel the the April 2020 Masters due to COVID-19. And you had a huge decision to make as to whether to even hold the Masters in, in November. What's the backstory on how you came to the decision that the show could go on?
1: Well, you know, in March, when this was all sort of converging, I remember getting to the club sometime around the middle of March. Maybe it was about the 10th of March, maybe the Wednesday of the Players' Championship, Tuesday or Wednesday. We had some good counsel. We had some consultants we were working with that were really following the virus and its progression. And, you know, I remember that when I arrived at the club and got settled in my office, I was told that we probably have four or five days to make this decision. And after, you know, being at a meeting for a couple of hours, I said, "I think we have 24 hours to make this decision because this is everything is starting to kind of converge on this issue. And and within, golly, with probably within the 24 hours, or certainly no more than 48 hours, the NBA had canceled their uh, season. And then, of course, we know what happened with the Players' Championship when they played. They played the first round and then made a decision to play the second round without spectators uh, and then ultimately decided to cancel the tournament. So I just think, I think it was, uh, it was a sort of a thing where the momentum of the issue, there was so much unknown that we felt like that we could not have the tournament in April. It wouldn't be responsible. But we also were determined that we weren't going to say that we were canceling it. Because I knew that if, If, in fact, there was a possibility of having the tournament, rescheduling the tournament, I knew that's what we would want to do and that what we could do. And I think that's a testament, really, not only to our organization, but to the entire what I call the golf ecosystem that really came together. And, you know, there were some give and some take, you know, rescheduled this tournament. That tournament didn't happen in 2020, but it really was all done for the good of the game and the good of the sport. You know, I think not only golf, but I think all sports has done extremely well in not only reacting and managing through this crisis for their own sports sake, but also in looking beyond that, you know, into how can we use uh, our platform, how can we use our sport, how can we use our facilities to help with testing, to help with vaccinations, et cetera. So I'm very, I'm very proud of all sports and how and how they reacted and contributed to this.
0: You know, you had to do a lot of coordination. I know with the NFL and the SEC to ensure TV viewing in, in November. How'd you go about getting that kind of collaboration?
1: You know, it's like anything else. It's uh, that's where friendships and relationships come in and sort of intersect with business i mean clearly you know we all have our priorities our business priorities and we have our responsibilities to our constituents but we also know that all of this works better if we work together and and there was there was really a coming together i mean just a great example was that you know the cooperation of the NFL and our partner CBS uh, with regard to the the Sunday broadcast we would not have been able to have the Masters on National Network Television had the NFL not agreed to move all the CBS games and CBS agreed to do that, to move them into the late slot. So we had we had no competition with the NFL when we, of course, we had we did have to move our finish early, which we did the year before for a different reason for weather. So we, we couldn't compete with the NFL the entire day. But the fact that they were willing to do that, and then on Saturday, the, the SEC moved their feature game to to a night game. There was a lot of cooperation. I think it was a win-win for everybody, but we couldn't have done it without our friends.
0: And it was a great tournament. No question about that. And, you know, staying on the COVID subjects for a little longer here, you, you mentioned earlier, you're proud of sports, how they'd really stepped up and and really helped uh, fight this uh, pandemic. Tell us about your partnership uh, with uh, Augusta university health.
1: We early on, you know, the focus was, was on testing and, um, we just felt that if if the resources were there, that uh, Augusta University and AU Health, you know, had the wherewithal, had the expertise to really ramp up testing, and so we, along with the Community Foundation, the Greater Augusta Community Foundation, together contributed two million dollars to that effort. And so I think many more thousand people were tested as a result of that. You know, created we created a drive-through testing system, like a lot of communities did. But Augusta University and AU Health have been wonderful partners. You know, they're involved in the Harrisburg Project. You know, their campus, their medical campus is down there. Uh, So it's a good example of the leadership in a community, the second largest community, as you mentioned, in the state working together. More recently, we've been focusing on the vaccination front. And we've done that in a couple of ways, obviously with financial support. But we've converted some of our property on Washington Road into vaccination centers. And so while we don't know the exact number, we're confident it's gonna be in the thousands per day that'll be able to go through and be vaccinated at that site. We've also funded pop-up clinics around the area as well as mobile units. And the key to the mobile units, David, is that they're actually able to go into these underserved communities. And really, instead of having the patients come to the centers, we're going to the patients. As the supply of vaccinations increase, It's really going to be, I think, a virtuous cycle where we're going to get more people, more shots in the arm,
0: and we're going to get this thing under control. Great. You know, I I love that. And is it safe to say, Fred, that you're using social responsibility as a major driver to make Augusta National and the Masters brands even more impactful and relevant? I certainly hope
1: so, David. And, And I think that really kind of points to what I feel is probably the biggest challenge that I realized in leading this organization, that is, how do I honor the longstanding traditions and the culture of this organization that has carried it so far, yet take those traditions and culture, and I don't like the word modernize, but I can't think of another word right now, but to really move us uh, into the future in a way that we can use our brand in a much broader way than perhaps we have in the past. I'm very sensitive, I'm very careful, You know, we don't want to change our culture, but we're blessed with the resources to do so many things. And so I I just think that we can look at a broader sort of canvas as to what our outreach is going to be. I mean, certainly it's always going to be through the game of golf and using the game of golf, but I think this is an example, and I'm sure there'll be others, and we're looking for others where we can go beyond just the game of golf to try to make a difference.
0: Fred, there's there's no question that Augusta National and the Masters is one of the kind in the world of golf, and, and in all sports for that matter. How are you leveraging that differentiation in, in the world of digital and social media?
1: I believe that broadcast television is always going to be a big part of, of reaching our audience, but the realities are that people are consuming content in a much different way than they have traditionally done. And so, our focus in that regard has really been pretty simple, and that really is to give people content in the ways that they want to consume it. And, and that clearly means focusing on digital. You know, we're getting ready to open up a new facility across Washington Road, which when we get finished landscaping and Birmingham, you won't be able to see it, but you can see it pretty clearly <laughs> right now. But that's, that's going to house you know, not only our television partners, both domestically and internationally, but also a large portion of that facility is going to be dedicated to digital content and the production of digital content. Um, so I, think, I really think that's where the future is. Um, we've got a great team. We've expanded that team recently, but that, that is going to be a big focus of ours uh, in the coming years.
0: You know, anyone who follows golf knows that the Masters is, is a, the, a, a tradition like no other. How do you balance that, Fred, between playing it safe and pushing the envelope? Because here you just built this global uh, broadcast center, you know, across from the property in Washington Road, uh, I mean, that's a feat in and of itself. I understand there's a huge tunnel that goes underneath the road that didn't even have to close the road as you built this and it'll be ready to go for this April. I mean, that's that's pushing the envelope. I mean, how do you, how do you balance that?
1: Well, I think you, you, you hit the nail on the head. It, it is a balance. And and I think if you have a set of principles and beliefs that you can always go back to and you can always test what you're doing, then I, I think that's how an organization stays grounded, you know? and so. You know, someone asked me the other day why it was important to do some of the things that we're doing. And I started thinking about, you know, people who've been coming to the Masters for many, many years and the way that they go away and the way they say that they're treated. They're treated with courtesy and respect and smiling faces and hospitality like they've never seen before. And so I think as long as we look at these new opportunities through the filter of those of uh, those values that are part of our of our dna so we're never always going to make the right decisions but we'll make the majority of those will be the right decisions and so that's the way i really look at it, is, is putting them through those filters of our of our founders principles of excellence of respect for others of continuous improvement and i think if, as long as we stay at that high level then what what sort of emanates from that will will be good
0: can you tell us a little backstory on, on just this tunnel underneath uh, Washington Road? That, that, that had to be That's an incredible engineering feat for sure. <laughs> well, it, it's
1: been a really a game changer because we do have quite a bit of property on the other side of Washington Road. And, you know, as you know, master's time, it gets pretty crazy on that, that, that thoroughfare. So to be able to have a, a tunnel that can accommodate basically two 18-wheel vehicles at the same time going opposite directions— uh, it's it's really it's really a It's like I said, it's a game changer, and and it did it did uh, employ you know some pretty cutting edge technology. I mean, I don't think that type of construction has been used very often. We had to get cooperation from our local and state authorities. I mean, without the Georgia Department of Transportation, we could not have done that project. So that's just another example of relationships, long term relationships, the trust that's been developed over the years between those relationships and. And it's, uh, it was everybody working
0: together on that one. It, that's absolutely incredible. And, and, you know, when you and the club decide to do something, you certainly have a tradition to do it in a manner like no other. <laughs> Two 18-wheelers, that's something else. You know, the Masters is the only major tournament that's run completely by the, the membership. Uh, the committees are headed by members. You've got some CEOs and some of the most influential people in the world in charge of everything from security to parking to trash collection. What's it like leading such high-caliber leaders?
1: Well, let's put it this way: uh, there's no there's no sort of confidence in the uh, committee leadership that we have. <laughs> but no, it, it's really amazing, David. I mean, you know, you, you mentioned the, you know, the type of people that are doing this. To me, one of the great things about Augusta National is really the affection and the dedication and the loyalty that the membership has to the organization. And that really reflects itself in in people that run big companies and they leave their egos at the gate. They will do anything. I mean, it may be heading up the grounds committee and picking up trash. It doesn't matter. But that's going to be the best operation anywhere in the world. And I think that that's a unique element of, of the masters. Although having said that, You know, I always want to be mindful and we all should be mindful that we have literally thousands of volunteers that come in every year. And notwithstanding uh, the great leadership of our committees, we couldn't do it without those volunteers. I think they enjoy it as much as we appreciate having them. But nevertheless, that's really the lifeblood of the tournament.
0: Sure is, you know, and, and, and shifting gears and a little bit back to the community. I know that you and Betsy have lived in Tampa Bay for a long time. So congrats on your Super Bowl win. Uh, that had to be exciting to watch Tom Brady uh, take the team to the, the promised really? land of your hometown. Did you get to go to the game?
1: We did go to the game. I think if you're looking at it objectively, you know, just from a football fan, if you, if you were disinterested in the game, it probably wouldn't go down as being you know, one of the most you know, memorable Super Bowls. But that's not the way we looked at it. So. <laughs> so we, we thought it was the, exciting, the most exciting Super Bowl we've ever seen. But I'm, I'm really so happy for Tom and for the entire team. And, you know, there's an example, and I know you've done a podcast with Tom, but there's an example of the leadership that he brought to the Tampa Bay organization. I think the impact of that, I think, actually exceeded the talent that he brought when he, when he came down last year. I mean, you know, you could just see it in the eyes of these young players, how they looked up to him and how they didn't want to disappoint him. And he really was the glue that brought all this together. So I'm so proud of him and the entire team. And the, and, and it's amazing, isn't it, how how sports really energizes a community. And it, it does great things. And, of course, we had quite a year in Tampa and the, probably the most unusual sports year in the history of, of sport by winning the Stanley Cup, the
0: Super Bowl, the Rays got to the World Series. It's been amazing. It was only fitting, you know, and and Fred, I know your most important partner in life is Betsy. What kind of role does she play as the the first lady of Augusta National?
1: Wow, we've been married 43 years. I don't even know what to say. I mean, she is, you know, my soulmate. She knows how I think inside and out. Um, I'm not sure I'd be chairman if I weren't for Betsy Ridley. You know, she's been around Augusta for so long. You know, she has so many friends there. She respects the traditions of the organization, and um, we're a team. There's no question
0: about it. Augusta employs uh, hundreds of team members, and I understand you you have worked with your leadership team to codify your mission and, and core values. Can you talk about why you did this with your leadership team, and 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 you know how you how you look at the culture of such a venerable institution? Sure. I think our core values are essentially
1: the core values that have been a part of the organization for many, many years, but they hadn't quite been codified as in the way that, that we did. And I think there, there are a couple of important aspects of that. One is, and I mentioned it a minute ago, is that, you know, if, if you have a foundation, you always can go back to that foundation, then you're not going to get too far off track. I mean, if, if you're able to judge your actions, your intents by what your underlying values are, and then I think that that it, to me is a common sense, solid way to run an organization. But secondly, and very importantly, this was a bottoms up process. This was not something that, that I dictated and and organized. Uh, well, I organized it, but I didn't really run it. I didn't run the process. It was a very collaborative. Everybody was involved. Everybody had their input. There were dozens of iterations, and before I ever saw it. I just think that process that we went through and doing it brought the organization closer together and made us a stronger organization. So, and I mean, if you go, if you go around the club and the various departments, I'll bet you 90% chance that in every office, in every work area, you're going to see a little green card pasted to the wall, pasted to people's computers right there. They look at that dozen times a day. It makes me so happy when I see those cards. I carry one around in my briefcase, you know, because I think I've learned tremendously from our people that really translates over to what I do at the law firm.
0: You know, in preparation of uh, for this this time together, Fred, I talked to a few of your staff members and, you know, that green card is something that they live by now. I mean, they're so proud that they developed this and it was a bottom-up approach and, you know, everything to get the language down the way how they did, which is it's very impressive. I think it's terrific that you put so much value on continuous improvement and the standard of excellence that, that Clifford Roberts and Bobby Jones founded the club on in 88 years ago. A lot of leaders... Fred, they discard the past. You know, they they come in and it's a new day, a new sheriff in town. But, but you and your team, you you really have said several times in this conversation how much you embrace the, the the past and the tradition of the club. How critical is it in in your mind, and why do you think leaders get off track? You know, I think there's a natural tendency for anyone coming
1: into a new job as the chief executive to make their mark. I mean, we're all you know we're all human beings. We want to you know hopefully leave a an an organization better than we founded. And that's certainly the way I feel. And I know that my successor is going to feel the same way. But I think sometimes in trying to execute on that goal, that I think sometimes leaders and companies lose their way. And, And I don't think it's at all inconsistent. Maintain your values and change. You can do both at the same time. And, and I think maybe a better word than change is evolve. You can evolve and still be true to your values. But but again, I, I think if you look at the, the many great things that this organization has done over the years, you know, although the focus maybe has changed in recent years a little bit, I mean, there's a reason for that. And and I also think that that a, that a simple thought, you know, it, it sounds kind of like it's a cliche, but when you talk about excellence. And, and if that just, if that permeates your DNA and every thought that, you know, and it, and it overlays everything you do, it's a pretty powerful influencer. You know, it's excellence and continuous improvement. And I mean, if you were to look, review the committee reports I get every year, you would think, okay, I can't even think of anything the masters could do better. I mean, I get pages and pages of memos of unbelievable ideas. The point is is that people are thinking, they're stretching, they're how can we get better? And and there will be there will be one or two great ideas come out of every committee every year. We implement those. Mm-hmm. So it's a never ending
0: process. Yeah, I'm curious, Fred, does, does an organization like Augusta National put emphasis on leadership development within your within your team? David, that's such an
1: interesting question because if you had asked me that a year ago, I would have had a hard time answering it. But we, all, we actually are, at this very moment, we have reached out to several outside people for us to interview them, for them to interview us, for that very purpose of how do, we, how, do we, how do we go to the next step? How do we get to the next level of leadership? And so we are undergoing that process now. And then hopefully that will provide a foundation for programs, in, inside programs, internal programs that are continuing. I think we have so much potential and I get so excited when I talk about it because I think we've done so much maybe without that formal training. And, and, and I think I think there's so much potential on the horizon if, if we kind of take that next step.
0: You know, I, I also st- understand that you make it a point to spend time with every function personally, from the housekeeping staff to the technology group. Why do you make that such a priority to be with the troops? Well, part
1: of it is I really enjoy it. I love the people. Like I said a minute ago, I've learned as much from this job as any, anything I've ever done. And to understand uh, how important it is for a leader to spend time with the people really that, that make the organization run, um, it, it, it's, it's a, it energizes them and energizes me. I used to kind of underestimate how important that was. Well, maybe, you know, they don't really want to talk to me. They've got their job to do. But I can just see it in their eyes. You know, I mean, I, I'll go into the laundry department and, you know, they'll be on their break and I'll be, t- I can just, I can look at the body language. These people are, they are energized. They're fired up and I walk away feeling the yeah. same way. So it's a, <laughs> it's a mutual thing, you know?
0: That's great. You know, and I also know Fred that you're a stickler for knowing as many first names as you possibly can at every level in the organization. You know, what, do you have an experience that made that a, a real priority for you?
1: Well, I think it's because, you know, it's not natural. I'm not very good at it. And so I think sometimes when you're not very good at something, you probably spend more time, you know, trying to be better at it. And so, you know, I'll use little tricks, you know, whatever I can to do to remember names. And then when I go into a meeting, I always make sure I, I study up. And if I've forgotten a couple of names that I refresh my recollection, because you know it's hard with that many people, you know, but But again, those little personal touches, they they have such an impact. So I I do it with enthusiasm. Uh, I think it's really important.
0: You know, it seems like your formula for success as a leader is to put the team members first, build their capability, and the member, the guest, and the patron experience will get even better. How did you develop this people-first philosophy?
1: Well, I think it's perhaps by watching others and by perhaps being on the other side of that equation when I was a younger person. You know, I have, I've had several people in my life that I've really looked up to and that I've, I've learned so much just by watching them. And I saw how they paid attention to me and and what an impact that had on me. And I saw how much they enjoyed doing that. It's sort of something when you, practice something and you get positive feedback and you get positive results, all of a sudden it becomes part of who you are and and you enjoy it. It it makes life fun. It makes life enjoyable. And so I just, I just, I like it. It it makes me feel good. It makes me feel like perhaps I'm helping other people, but, but I've been the recipient of it. So I know. Yeah.
0: And and now Fred, we've got the 2021 masters coming up. Uh, Can we expect anything new and what are you most excited about this year?
1: Well, a little different from November. We're going to have a few thousand patrons, and uh, I think we're ready for that. We're really excited to have the golf course showing at a time of year which when it's it's at its best. I mean, our our golf course team did an unbelievable job in October or November rather. October getting ready for November, but it was not the best time of year to to have the the competition, and the players were very complimentary. Uh, You know, we had a lot of rain, so the course was very soft. You know, hopefully that won't be the case in April. So I'm just looking forward to kind of getting back to some more degree of normality. And I think it'll be a a big step towards 2022. I think people are excited to come back. I know the members are excited. We're going to have our families back, which we couldn't do in in November. So it's going to be great.
0: You know, I know it's an incredible 24-7 responsibility that you have, but what's the most fun you have personally hosting the Masters? You know, it's it's
1: great to see a lot of friends. I mean, I know certainly all of the players in their mid-30s and up, but, you know, I'm not, that's not really what what drives me. I think think it's really seeing two things. I think it's seeing the golf world sort of get together in one place. That's probably what I miss the most from November and even to a large degree, we won't won't quite be there in April. It, It is a place that, anyone involved in the game of golf wants to be that first week of April. I mean, and and to see the Wednesday night function we have where we invite, you know, our international friends from around the world. I mean, to me, that is like a melting pot. And, and that, that is probably my favorite, my favorite day, my favorite night of the week. That's really what I look forward to. And then the other thing, you know, just on a personal level is I mentioned that, you know, my three daughters are huge golf fans. I think, Coming to the masters, they're all in their 30s now, but coming to them, two of them are married. Coming to the masters is probably the highlight of their year. And they have so much fun. We've had so many memories as a family. So I think those two things are what really I think about the most.
0: You know, Fred, you know, when I think about it, you've seen all kinds of volatility as a commercial real estate lawyer and, and, you know, that, that business, you know, you know how volatile that could be. And now you had to lead through COVID. What advice can you give based on what you've learned on, on how to lead during the toughest times? Well,
1: again, I, I think, you know, I, I've always felt that leadership was more about people than process. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think it's it's trying to instill confidence in the people that are in your organization that things are going to get better. And, I mean, if they see the, the boss, you know, with a long face And wringing his hands or her hands over the current circumstances, they're gonna have a hard time getting through that. I think really just setting that example of a positive attitude that, you know, this is we're going through a tough time, but we're resilient, we can get through it together. And that's really been the word. That word resilience is one that we have really almost has become our our watchword is that we're resilient, we're gonna bounce back, we can get through this. And you know, a lot of times you can talk yourself into Feeling pretty good. Yeah, you know, that that's kind of what I've been
0: focused on. Yeah, it beats being a Eeyore any day of the week. No question. You know? No question. You know, anyone, Fred, that watches you in action during a press conference realizes that you're a master communicator. Uh, you know, how do you get ready to handle the the high hard ones that, you know, they come your way every now and then? Well, there's a lot
1: of preparation. I try to be to have facts to back up everything I say. I'm not gonna say anything I don't believe in you know, with all my my heart. Overall things, just be honest and be prepared.
0: You know, Fred, you mentioned earlier that, you know, lawyers aren't necessarily known for being great leaders. And, you know, lawyers, I've got a lot of friends who are lawyers and I have a lot of friends who are great leaders as lawyers. But, you know, there's a lot of butts of, uh, you're the butt of a lot of jokes as a profession, you know, and you take all kinds of shots. Was there ever a time that you felt underestimated as a leader because you're a lawyer? I don't
1: think people think about lawyers as being leaders and you know although i do think in the sort of the modern practice of law that that teamwork is more important is more emphasized you know i think lawyers work in teams more than they used to but there still is this sort of underlying feeling and i hate this term but you hear it a lot when you when you talk about lawyers and that's sort of eat what you kill i think that my progression as a lawyer and what the advice i give to young lawyers as soon as you experience the power of those relationships and people, and working with your colleagues, and seeing how much sort of reflective glow you get from their success. As soon as you learn that and you experience it, then you realize that there's so much more potential if you don't care about the credit that you get. It takes a while to to learn, but I'm going to always emphasize the, to our lawyers that you know the practice of law, any profession, I think anything you do, it's not a sprint; it's a marathon. And so you just want to keep hitting those singles and doubles. I tell our young lawyers, and I've I've talked to my daughters about this, who are all in business or professions, that do good things for people. You know, add value to people's lives without any expectation of anything in return. And do it every day. You know, little things, big things. You're going to be unbelievably surprised how that starts coming back to you. And it's cumulative. It's like the power of compounding interest. You know, it doesn't happen today. It'll happen over time. So while while I don't think lawyers get a lot of credit for being good leaders, I think they're more than you think. And I mean, we know some of them.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: I think there's a lot lot to be said for that.
0: You know, Fred, this has been so much fun. And I know I've taken more time than I should. But I'd like to have a little bit more with you with the lightning round of Q&A. All right. What three words best describe you?
1: I would say that uh, I'm determined, a uh, lot more competitive than people think I am. Lastly, um, and, I, and I say this with hope because this is ultimately determined by others, but I hope I'm trustworthy.
0: If you could be one person for a day beside yourself, who would it be and why? Um,
1: I, 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 would, I would like to be Bobby Jones. You know, he is the, to me, the quintessential Renaissance person. You know, he's, I've read so much about him. I mean, just about everything there is to be read. He was a great champion golfer. He was a scholar, you know, got his master's in English from Harvard. He was well-read, well-written, probably the most humble, considerate athlete that I've ever read about. And I would love to be inside that body for a day just to see what it's like.
0: Yeah. What would be your biggest pet peeve, Fred?
1: Oh, uh, people who are self-important.
0: Yeah. What's something about you that few people would know? My first
1: and last girlfriend were, are identical twins. <laughs> my, my, That's my junior, my junior high sweetheart was an identical twin. And, uh, my last girlfriend, who's a woman I've been married to for 43 years, is an identical twin.
0: <laughs> that is incredible. <laughs> Do you have any hidden talents? Um, well, I, I think
1: I, I think I'm sort of an architect designer wannabe. Um, I, you know, I guess I guess by the question, I have to say I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good at it, uh, although clearly an amateur. I mean, I my my wife and daughter's calling me a serial renovator because we bought a house in 1981 that we live in, that we've renovated about seven times. And mm. and I get into the weeds with the architects and I drive them crazy. But I like I like doing that. And I think I am I think mm. I'm reasonably good at it.
0: Uh, your favorite hole in Augusta National?
1: Number 15. Um, and it's just it's a hole that, you know, when you say something's your favorite, a lot of it has to do with your experiences, you know. So I just if I had a good drive there, you know, from the members tees, Standing kind of at the top of that hill, looking down over the water, you know, imagining the people on the back hill, the masters. I just, I just feel, it makes me feel great. And I just feel like I can do this. I can hit the green. And so I just love that feeling. That's my favorite hole.
0: And Fred, if, if you had to pick one and you only get one, cause I know there's so many, what would be your favorite masters? Well,
1: David, it would have to be the 2019 Masters Tournament and Tiger Woods' return to glory, as Jim Nance put it. Uh, I know we were so excited as that day progressed to watch the drama that unfolded on the back nine. And I think when he walked onto the 13th green after having played the 12th hole, uh, you know, really the high point of aiming corner, that we all had a feeling it just might be the day. And of course, as you know, he came through, he won his fifth green jacket. And what struck me and what I remember the most about that afternoon as he finished play he was walking to the scoring room from the 18th green, and there was a line of young players who greeted him, and the respect they showed for really for their idol—people that, that that watched him as they were growing up in golf—it was just something really cool to see. And so it, it was—it was a time when we are we're very proud of Tiger Woods and and what he's meant to the Masters tournament.
0: And of course, Fred, we all know that Tiger just had this terrible injury. Have you had a chance to to talk to him?
1: I have, David. Just this week, uh, Tiger and I exchanged a couple of texts, and I was really heartened at the optimism that he displayed. And uh, he was in great spirits. I know he's determined to come back. And uh, if anyone can do it, Tiger Woods can. We wish him all the best.
0: Absolutely. We sure do. Fred, I know you have three daughters, and I understand you now have a a grandson. Correct. Okay. What's it like being a grandfather? Well,
1: it's... uh it's great. That, you know, uh, my daughter, who uh, was who a mother of my grandson, lives two, she and her husband live two blocks from us. So I would say five days a week at least. Uh, they either come by or we go over there. So I'm seeing him often. But uh, he just turned three. And if, if I miss a week for some reason, if I'm traveling, unbelievable change it's so much fun. And I know you, I know you've got grandchildren. I'm sure you do. It's just so much fun.
0: Have you already got him his first set of clubs or are you waiting for that?
1: No, he's got a little plastic set of clubs. You know, he, he hasn't shown a tremendous amount of, uh, of interest in really developing a swing. I mean, I, I've seen some of the old videos when Tiger Woods was two and he was already hitting it a hundred yards, but I don't think he's going to be a Tiger Woods, but I do hope he plays golf. His dad's a golfer, and yeah. and a you know pretty yeah. good golfer, and I'm sure he'll play golf. I'm looking forward to that.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, and looking forward and wrapping this up here, what do you see as your unfinished business, Fred? And and you know, I I don't know if people even like to talk about legacies, but if you had to use that word, you know, you know, how do you see yours?
1: Well, I mentioned and we talked quite a bit about the mission of Augusta National and the values, I'm sort of focusing on, and and I think maybe this might be a little bit in reverse order, but I've given a lot of thought to vision. In other words, where do we want to be, not only just at the end of my tenure, but where where does this organization want to be 10, 20, 50 years from now? What are the possibilities? (laughs) That's a difficult subject. And of course, I won't be making decisions necessarily, but I think we have a very talented, very energized organization. They want to do more. They want to make a bigger difference in, in, the, in the game of golf and in the world. And so I, I'm, I'm spending a lot of time thinking about that future. Nothing concrete yet, but that's, that's what I'm spending a lot of time doing.
0: Well, I want to thank you so much, Fred, for, for giving us so much time and, and sharing your observations. Uh Thank you for the example you set for, for all of us who who wanna reach for greatness and uh, be kind to other people. Well, thank you,
1: David. And thank you for everything you're doing to promote leadership and uh, you're doing great
0: things. Thank you very much. Well, there's no doubt about it. Augusta National Golf Club is a very special place and it has got a very special leader in Fred Ridley. He is blazing new trails while staying true to the legacy and core values of the club. Can you believe that on day one as chairman, he started working on the Augusta National Women's Amateur Tournament? That was a major innovation. Now, let me take a minute and share some coaching for how you can apply this in your life as a leader. Every organization has tradition. This week, as a part of your weekly personal development plan, make a list of the traditions that you want to preserve. That list will help you see the values that really matter to your organization. And then, with all that in mind, start thinking about the bold initiatives you can take to move your team and company forward. Now, that's the kind of balanced, creative thinking we need more of in this world. So do you want to know how leaders lead? Well, we learned today is that great leaders preserve tradition and drive innovation. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of How Leaders Lead, where every Thursday you get to listen in while I interview some of the very best leaders in the world. I make it a point to give you something simple on each episode that you can apply to your business so that you will become the best leader you can be.